This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Miwa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over. And Patty Smith, the Patty Smith, winner of the National Book Award for Nonfiction for Just Kids, has a new book out, and it's called A Book of Days, and it is 366 Ways to Say Hello. And Thank we get you. to say hello to Patty Smith today. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I'm happy so to excited. I'm happy to be here. I'm uh, you know, as a person who loves bookstores and has mm-hmm. been into Barnes and Noble many times, I've done signings there and mm-hmm. readings there, and it's uh, nice to have continuing support. It's really great to see you. This book is a little different from your earlier books, though. Each page is an image with a little bit of text. And you say in the opening of the book that really this was sort of a pandemic project in some ways, but anyone who's read Just Kids or M-Train or Year of the Monkey or Wool Gathering um, will see that there's a very distinct Patti Smith image and then some beautiful prose to go with it. (laughs) I'm hoping. uh, I thought I'm, it was actually a more complicated book than I thought. It was it was inspired by, um, you know, I was in such isolation during the pan- pandemic and my daughter, she uh, pressed me to start an Instagram because I don't really have social media. And I I actually liked it. I liked um, at least my take on it. I like, you know, because I take a lot of pictures and I like sharing books and thoughts and images with people and people comment. So I felt even though I was isolated and had to cancel a whole world tour, that I was still in connection with the people. Yeah, so it did inspire me to do uh, this book. The book is its own. Uh, It's not just lifted from Instagram. The Instagram inspired it, but it's its own own animal. And I tried, um, even though there's certain images or certain thoughts that uh, might overlap, uh, quite a bit of it is new images and new thoughts. One for every day. It's so beautiful, this book. I'm so excited for the world to have it. It's such a treat to dip in and out of. And I have to tell you, you sent me down some rabbit holes (laughs) with this book. The idea. (laughs) I was playing with some of the back, you know, some of your earlier books because just to have, you know, the context, right? But I started listening to Rossini's Thieving Magpie because you sent me to Murakami which sent me to the Wind Up Bird Chronicle. And you know, it has that opening line where you should be listening to this as you boil pasta. And I thought, oh, right, I should be listening to this. <laughs> and then when you were talking about Robert Bologno, listening to Glenn Gould's Goldberg Variations as he on loop while he was writing t- uh, 2666, you sent me back to Glenn Gould. You're my Goldberg kind of person. <laughs> and then Sam Shepard, you sent yeah. me back. To True West, and also the last two books, The One Inside and um, Spy the First Person. And it was such a joy to be able to go back to these things that, yes, I had experienced in different ways previously, but to be able to slide down that rabbit hole because you reminded me with a very singular image, and maybe not the most prose I've ever seen from you on a page, but the whole thing is delightful. So here's a question for you, though. How does a photograph start for you? Well, for the book, I um, this was slightly complicated because I had many agendas. One was, you know, certain birthdays that I wanted to uh, to acknowledge, uh, books that I wanted people to see, um, a, a family or or friends, and so I would have to pick uh, one singular image that represented that particular book or that particular poet. But then I also had to think about. I mean, an Instagram has one singular image, singular, (laughs) that's redundant. But anyway, a singular image, the book, you have a side by side images. So I also had to think about how does uh, the picture on the uh, left uh, inform uh, or harmonize with the picture on the right, both aesthetically and um, and uh, subject wise. So the books became much more complex. Um, than I had imagined because I had a lot of aesthetic choices uh, as well as, you know, subject choices. And really, I just try to, most of the images I shot myself, except, of course, ones that I couldn't shoot because um, 
referencing uh, someone I don't know. I never shot Joan Didion or Greta Thunberg, but I wanted them in the book. And I uh, and a few when there's pictures of me, uh, most of them are by my friends. So I wanted each picture to be aesthetically pleasing and worthy of a page. Some pictures I really liked didn't get in the book only because I couldn't find the right parallel picture or um, it got it got uh, sort of knocked out by another by something else. You know, it was uh, Samuel Beckett's birthday. So the image that I had there, I changed it. But it was really like a great puzzle. It was fun, but it was also uh, much more labor intensive than I imagined. Were you laying it out? On paper, or were you laying it out on a computer screen? Because you've said you write captions in both a notebook or on maybe directly on the phone, depending. But when you're doing, I mean, this is three hundred sixty-six images. Well, I was I was making long strips of paper and just uh-huh. drawing boxes and putting them next to each other, and then I had to work from computer and on paper. Uh, I didn't really have the technology um, to. Uh, print all kinds of things out or anything. So, but I got to know them so well. I got to know each picture so well and and the combinations. And, uh, but I did a lot of it like as if I was writing a storyboard. And because then truthfully, I get so obsessive that then I got concerned, not only how the right and left picture was, but what were the pictures before that? Even though there is not uh, a whole lot of text, I, I promise you, Everything in the book was given a lot of thought. It flows really beautifully, but can we talk about the rhythm of the images and the rhythm of sort of, because you break it out by month and then by day within the month, but there's a very distinct reading experience that comes with this book. And I'd love to sort of- Really? Yeah, I think so. I just, I I feel like there's sort of, there are moments of great joy and glee and wonder and discovery. And then there are moments where you're a little quieter and maybe there's some grief. Each piece sets off another. And it's as you were saying, you were thinking about the layout, page facing and and opposite pages and all of that. But at the same time, I think there's more to the story than just... Well, there was also the idea that um, uh, I wanted in some, in some, uh, some images and and some uh, some of the writing to impart information. Mm-hmm. If, for instance, um, um, there was a, a a mathematician or a young scientist or Beverly Pepper, a sculpt a great sculptress mm-hmm. who actually a lot of people don't know about, I I imparted a little more information. Mm-hmm. I can only put so much information, but enough information, hopefully, that would um, represent the artist, but also seduce people to look these people up or study them or see their work. Sometimes I just felt like, you know, Joan Didion, I knew her. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much one could say about her, but instead I approached her the way she approached. uh, She gave me, for instance, a a quote for Just Kids, which was Mm -hmm. a great honor. It was a very simple um, quote, but so it had such a special quality. So I wanted to do it in kind. So for Joan, it just says a pure writer mm-hmm. because I felt those few words said everything I needed to say. I could have been a little more, you know, um, you know, wrote, you know, dark glasses in a stingray or something like that. But I just, um, I wanted to, you know, show great respect and with a few words uh, for my husband, there's, I could write, you know, there's a million things I could say about him, but I kept it very simple. And I showed, you know, very precious, a picture of him and his his guitar pick and his capo, things no one's ever seen. So instead of giving people a lot of information about Fred, I gave them something that was very personal. So, you know, I really... um really thought about these. I didn't want the uh, descriptions or the um, captions or whatever one one would want to call them um, really lengthy. I didn't want them to seem like it was, you know, a textbook. I wanted, you know, to give people, you know, you know, express things in a different way. The pictures are different. Some are color, some are black and white, some are extremely dark Polaroids. 
some, you know, are, um, you know, a, a bit deteriorated, but, um, and I, I wanted also the words to be sometimes very direct, even a little formal and other times playful. I think for instance, little Lulu is in the, <laughs> in the book and, uh, there's a few, um, a few different entries where, you know, uh, there's a certain amount of levity, but even in levity, um, I, um, it's something that means something to me. I think there's another one of me discussing a lemon with my cat. Mm-hmm. Well, it, there's not much to be learned by that, but lemons are medicinal, one of, one of nature's gifts to us. And my cat is, you know, so beloved. So, uh, I just, um, I wanted to show a little bit of our intimacy. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I intentionally didn't write a lot because I want people to feel the experience Mm -hmm. instead of reading about it. I, they, I want them just to have a little feeling about Fred or a feeling about my mother. I've written about both of them quite a bit and plan to write about both of them quite a bit more, but I, this book isn't necessarily about, you know, just learning things or being uh, led to things. It's giving people a little moment. You know, I show my father's coffee cup. Maybe it'll make one think of their own father's coffee cup. And that's why I, I think I mentioned in the, in the um, introduction that these pictures are also, they're springboards for your mm-hmm. own, your own mental pictures. You know, if it's it's Sylvia Plath's birthday, it's also a thousand million birthdays. It might be your birthday. So each each one um, is resonates all the birthdays. The images are really dreamy, though. Some of them are a little haunted, but they're all dreamy in that very Patty Smith way, as I think of it, um, having read your earlier books. And I really I do love your aesthetic. I'm happy with the whole book because it's so beautifully designed and I love the trim size, everything about it. I'm very attentive to book production. The pictures, um, I chose not, if it was on a more coded or shiny paper, um, maybe the pictures would have been a little more high res or something, but I don't really, I did. I wanted it to be a little more of a literary experience where people really feel like they're looking at the pages of a book and not not an art book or a cookbook or, um, so, uh, they do take on that, that, uh, that dreamy cast that I'm, you know, certain critics have called blurry (laughs) or whatever, (laughs) but I don't care. I, I'm, I don't, um, hurl myself as a photographer. I know a lot about photography. I've been taking pictures most of my life and I have a certain aesthetic and that's, you know, I, I, I take the pictures that I want to take. I leave all the other pictures to other people. You know, there's so many people who think of you as Patti Smith musician first. And I think of you as a writer first. And I know you started as a poet and picked up music later. But again, when you talk about books, you're a book person. Oh, I'm absolutely... I'm, I've never called myself a musician when mm-hmm. I write my, mm-hmm. I have to hand in bios. I never actually, I will, I'll say that I'm a writer, a writer, performer, singer, whatever, but it's always a writer and performer. I don't consider myself a musician. Uh, that's not out of modesty. It's just, I did not spend a lifetime studying and being engulfed and driven by music. I'm really driven by poetry. I'm really driven by language, but also I'm driven by a desire to connect with the people. Um, So I could have been a teacher. uh, I could have been a a politician. I could have been anyone that communicates with people verbally because I like that, but I wound up a performer, but it was all rooted in poetry. And as a book person, I have loved books since I was a toddler. And, uh, I have books. I mean, I'm sitting at a table and I'm looking just happenstance. There's five books on this table. You know, it's, they're just laying there. No, and um, I'm always have a book nearby. I can't go into the bathroom without a book. I, I, I have to, you know, unless it's a real emergency. But um, I love books. I worked in bookstores for seven years and 
Um, I love book design, everything about books. When I worked on Wool Gathering with New, New Direction, they we discussed, you know, the, the color of the thread, you know, to, 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 to bind the book. And I love all of that. I don't have to be the person that chooses it all the time, but I like to be involved and to see, you know, what, what everyone is doing and what their vision is. I just, I love books. It is a nice way to connect. And that's the thing that I appreciate when I'm reading, whether I'm reading fiction or poetry or or narrative nonfiction, to be able to walk into someone else's head and someone else's world, regardless of what it may or may not be. And then I get to sit down and talk to people. It's even better. But who are you as a reader? I mean, I know your taste is so wide. I mean, we go from Burroughs and Ginsburg and Sylvia Plath to Baudelaire and Rimbaud and Marguerite de Ross, but who have you been reading lately? Uh, well, actually, it's so funny because look what's on my table. Mm-hmm. It's by, oh, I don't know if you can oh, see Oh, I can, I can absolutely see. That is a beautiful copy of Ariel. Oh, it's that really is amazing. old. amazing. for yeah. years. And uh, um, since the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, I mean, I'm in Rockaway right now, so... You know, the books that are on my table is mm-hmm. Journey to the East, yep. which I've read many times. Uh, Bruno Schultz, uh, Sanatorium Under the Sign of the Hourglass. Awesome yeah. book. And then there's a couple of books over there. But um, at home, I've actually been, I most, you know, I read mostly fiction. I don't read a lot of nonfiction, except when I'm studying or reading a biography. I'm just... I'm just not a nonfiction person all around. I don't really watch many documentaries or I'm all into imagination. And that's, I've been like that my whole life. I read mostly uh, since a child poetry and fairy tales and, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, detective books or, but um, right now I was studying, well, I'm, I'm in the middle of my own rabbit hole. So I can tell you that, in the rabbit hole, the components right now are um, Nabokov's Gogol, okay. The Divided Soul, which is a big biography of Gogol, um, a book on uh, this Russian painter called uh, Ivan, no, um, Alexander Ivanov. And so I have this stack of strangely um, interrelated books just to write one like prose poem. So, um, so that's been an adventure. If I can't find a new good book to read, I have to have something, either some obsession. And I love, um, you know, being, a, you know, as you were calling it, rabbit hole. I loved it. I loved Alice in Wonderland when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I have a permanent, a permanent ticket down the rabbit hole. And, um, and I just, uh, oh, well, I was reading, I love Nabokov's Gogol, which made me want to read a big biography of Gogol. And I read that. And in reading about him in Rome, I learned about this completely obsessive poet, Alexander um, Ivanov, who spent 20 years on one painting. Well, <laughs> I had to like find out about that. So I um, I was totally sidetracked. And then in, in studying that, I saw that they were all hanging out in this cafe that I had been to in um, near the... Spanish Steps in Rome called um, the Cafe Greco, which is one of the oldest cafes in the world that's mm-hmm. going. Then I had to start studying about the history of uh, Cafe Greco. Anyway, sorry, that's more than you needed to know, but at least you can see where where my writing, my reading habits come from. But I think your reading habits also really inform the book of days because yeah, the way things same type of thing. Yeah. pop up and, but that's the joy of it for me. I mean, when I realized all of these different directions that your one book sent me in, and it's happened before with your other books, please don't misunderstand me. I mean, there have been times where I'm like, oh, I should listen to this, or I should go see this, or I should read this. But to have it happen so quickly in something so new and slightly different, I mean, it does reference earlier work to a certain extent, and certainly your aesthetic is, I mean, I know it when I see it, right? <laughs> That's awesome. That's I know it when I see it. For, especially in a book like this. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, you're exactly exactly right. But I, 
you know, I was, I was hopping around like a wacky bunny in this. I mean, cause <laughs> also I would find these things myself that weren't even, um, I didn't even do on purpose where I would, say, you know, one date in April was really leaping over to another date, you know, in September. So yeah, I'm so happy because that's the book really, I, 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 I'm hoping that it will be you know, entertaining and a little heartening and just something, you know, sometimes we want something that can can be as complex as we want it to be, but also just as simple as we'd like to be. You could really just look at it, you know, and, uh, you know, I imagine, I'd like to imagine it by people's bed, you know, the, on their bed stand, and then they look at a couple of pictures and then they go off into some you know, dreamy sleep. The sense of wonder is really important. The connection that you obviously have, not just to the natural world. I mean, there's some lovely landscape photos that pop up and certainly Greta Thunberg as well. I mean, we all appreciate what she's doing. But how do you sit down and figure out who the people are going to be? I mean, I know you wanted to mark some birthdays. There are some death dates as well that you mark. There are people obviously from your family. But how do you even start to edit something like this? Well, I actually, I tried to um, not overthink it. Mm -hmm. Not, for instance, some of my friends are in the book. Some of them aren't in the book. You know, it's just like there was no reason except for maybe uh, one friend. I thought that it would be maybe a, a a certain other friend is used to having their pictures many places. Another friend isn't. I thought that another friend might you know, like, you know, like that I was thinking of them. And some of my favorite writers aren't in the book. Um, A lot of it, again, because the pictures, because also of clearances and costs and things, I had to choose pictures that were my own. And because of the pandemic, I really wasn't out on the prowl. So I had to use pictures that were mine that I had taken. And, um, or just take them in my room. I mean, you can almost see all the pictures I've taken in my room. It's the same bookcase. You know, I took the picture of Fred and the picture of Tolstoy or, you know, but I thought that was okay because it's a friendly thread throughout. You can see it's my bookcase and I'm setting up these little tableaus. And so um, I was, I'm not saying that I was uh, confined to certain things, but I did have, you know, my, uh, well, I, I had the resources that I had and also d- taking my own pictures, uh, using my own pictures, I could, uh, I wouldn't have to go through all kinds of um, uh, difficulties and sometimes heartbreak trying to get a clearance for a photograph. I thought about this a lot and thought when I look at it, I think in a certain way, it's there's some odd choices in there. You know, why? Is this uh, Iranian, this mathematician from Iran in there, Morizakani? But this beautiful woman, I love mathematics. I love, I love John Nash, and I read Men of Mathematics. I'm terrible in mathematics, but I love them. And in studying mathematics, I know about the Field Prize. She was the first woman, history of field, the Field Prize to, to uh, win this prize. I was. I just thought that was so great. And she has such a great manner. And she died, you know, of um, cancer. I was heartbroken when she died. I didn't know her or anything. And so I knew very early on that I wanted her to be in the book. And I wanted something worthy next to her. And I didn't know what would be next to her. And then my daughter, Jessie, was on a march for the uh, for International Women's Day. And I thought, there, that's perfect. Um, I just, I didn't overthink it. I just looked at these two idealistic faces and I thought the, they're good together. And honestly, I had never heard of the Field Prize. I had never heard of your <laughs> mathematician. And that part of the delight for me flipping through and being able to sit was also trying to sort of figure out where you were coming from. Because, I mean, you know, Rambo, I expect Rambo. I don't know how he's going to pop up in your work, but he will pop up. Yeah, There's certain he's things. In there a lot, but yeah. I also, it just happened that he was in there a lot. And also 
I I also know it's it's like a little gift to young people who really love him. And because I, I he's been a part of my lifelong experience. But also, why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? There are good. There are pictures that are fun, and yeah. uh, there's a lot of different correlations. But I do love mathematics. I would have loved to have had John Nash in my book because I love him. I follow <laughs> mathematicians, and I've you know I've met a lot of them when I um, did the Nobel uh, mm-hmm. performance um, to honor yeah. Bob Dylan. I I met a lot of great mathematicians, you know, Nobel mathematicians. I was thrilled. It's like, for me, they're like movie stars. So she represents in this one face, this one beautiful face, my whole love of mathematics. It's not my thing, but it is beautiful. And you need math to do a lot of things like build buildings and fly planes. And, you know, I just aesthetically always thought it was beautiful. I was really good at math as a kid. And then we got to geometry. And I could get answers quickly, but I couldn't work on the proofs. My mom, I'm not, I can't play chess. I have certain reasons. I have a slight little neurological niche, the glitch that keeps me from driving. I have a right left um, reversal thing. And uh, so I never, I failed mathematics for the rest of my life, but I, I mean, student life, but I always, Loved it. I loved the books. I loved the equations. I loved what they look like. I loved the stories. If you read this book, E.T. Bell wrote a story called Men in Mathematics. As some people say is somewhat romanticized, fine with me. These mathematics throughout time lived the life of like the most downtrodden poets. And, you know, because they had this secret language like poets. And to me, they're like, they're like another kind of poet. There's also a lot of poetry, though, in photography, and I'm not referring just to the images that you capture, but also developing film or waiting for a Polaroid. Remember waiting for a Polaroid oh, yeah. to emerge? I mean, that was always so much fun. <laughs> well, I, I mean, for me, the challenge in taking pictures, I wanted my photographs because I would make negatives of my Polaroids. I always took very flat pictures. Um and or try to or, or or take pictures in a more silvery light because I really like like 19th century pictures, 19th century uh, anonymous pictures. A lot of like the unknown people or amateurs took such beautiful pictures. And I love when you get old, you know, really old travel books and there's these grainy pictures of, you know, Samara or someplace or these, you know, the pyramids, but in, you know, 1920 and they're always grainy and beautiful and that's the kind of pictures that I sought to take and really just for myself I mean I don't aspire to do anything new in photography uh I never did I'm that's uh I mean really probably in my life the only time I was trying to do something new is in rock and roll I don't really try to do anything new in any other genre I just want it to be good <laughs> Or if not good, hopefully great or enduring. But rock and roll was a whole other, I had a whole other motivation. I wanted to, you know, kick down walls. But in writing or taking pictures, it's it's more aesthetic. My photographs are really, it's funny, I should do a whole book filled with them because I really take photographs for myself. I write for the people, I write for the people, but pictures, I have that one respite when I'm taking them. I don't really care whether people are drawn to them or not. But I'm hoping that in this, I tried to pick ones that I thought, you know, were appealing. And that, like you had said, that it, it, it the book has, it's more important that the book had sort of a vibe or an atmosphere. And that's what I was also gunning for, was that the book had a certain atmosphere. Oh, it does. It definitely does. <laughs> gunning, gunning for atmosphere, kind of. <laughs> That's very Patty Smith. <laughs> yeah. It is. Do you miss shooting on film though? Because I mean, learning to shoot on a camera on a phone is a very different balance. It's the light hits differently. Sometimes the colors show up differently. Um, what's that like for you now? I mean, it's very hard to get film. It is, I mean, it can well, be done. Polaroid, but... Polaroid film is, is finished. I right. mean, there was some Fuji film and other film that for a while was pretty good, but 
they don't have the atmosphere or something. It's like the difference between a Leica, you know, and a, and a I don't know, a, a Nikon, a two good cameras, but the Leica has a grain and a, a certain look. You know, I had a good run. I know that the film is, I'm sure, bad for the environment. So I feel like I had my run. I mourned, you know, when when the film, you couldn't get the film anymore. I did mourn taking the taking my pictures because I love going about with my camera. But, you know, now I just, um, I take my cell phone and you can take very nice pictures with a cell phone. And if you get the right light and, uh, you know, a lot of the pictures in the book, of course, every color picture was taken by with my cell phone. You know, at first I, it seemed appalling to me. And then I thought, well, in a way, the, the cell phone is, as I had written, the great equalizer. Everybody takes pictures with a cell phone. And in doing that, some people, I believe, because I've watched people all over the world taking pictures with their cell phone in different places. You know, some people just, they shoot everything. And other pe people, they're starting to see Oh, if I move the camera, they never took pictures before. They never had a camera, but now they have this cell phone and they're thinking, if I move it over this way and if I put it in that light, oh, that looks nicer. And maybe they don't have the language or know why, but they are learning and they're making choices. They're finding uh, some aspect of their creative impulse. So I, I think that that's very nice. You know, only artists are artists. You know, people that are called have a certain place. We can all write poetry. You know, every teenage girl can write a, a, a poem, you know, um, tearing down or building up her boyfriend. But only poets are poets as in, in, in the highest sense. I think it's important that everyone get to exercise their, um, their creative impulse. But having a, a lifelong calling for um any vocation is uh it 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 really uh, requires so much discipline sacrifice hard work and um and a certain blessing i'm not classically trained as a poet i just like to read poetry and sometimes it really zings and sometimes i think oh i don't possibly quite understand the whole thing but the whole idea as i understand it is to capture the image and to capture the feeling and capture the emotion and that's exactly what you're doing in A Book of Days. And I think it's kind of sublime and very pretty and very surprising. <laughs> Did anything really surprise you, though, when you were putting it together? I know we've talked about the whole process. And yes, it was, you know, a, a little harder and more complicated than you thought. But I can't help but think there was some unexpected joy that came out of it, too, simply because... The biggest joy was that I finished it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had my, I I I worried for a while because it got a slow start because mm -hmm. I was sort of making it up as I went along. I knew what at first I thought it would be very simple that I would um it would be more of a Instagram book and mm -hmm. I would use a lot of uh the images and a lot of things and I thought I can't do that. It's got to be something new. Right. And the technical thing of having all of my photographs, you know, and you know, on the computer or something, and having to keep looking at them, and and uh, not really being able to look at, you know, um, have the technology or to be able to do printouts or something. So there was some. Uh, it was slow going, and um, it finally caught its groove, and and I was able to finish it. And then in looking at it, you know, when I finally they made a galley or something, and I looked at it, and I thought. It had a nice rhythm. I mean, I'm very conscious of rhythm in my books, but, you know, and I was trying, but I thought, how can I successfully, if I'm working on the rhythm of, you know, April, what's going to happen in December? The other thing that I liked is surprises, like how one month, for no particular reason, I think like December, there's a lot of women in it. It just happened that way. It's just, it's also the the month I was born, but it just happened that way. Or a, a, another will, you know, would have uh, um, almost all black and white pictures or just, I mean, there would be like clusters of things that I 
didn't even notice. Or there's a section that's very musical, you know, that has like Elvis Presley and Coltrane and and um, and um, uh, Hank Williams and my husband. And it was just it just happened. I didn't plan it. And I I loved uh, these unexpected um, sort of um, is the word symbiotic, but these clusters of things where things really seem to move together. So I, I, I was, and I think the book, you know, it starts out, you know, it, it's almost like it's treading on tiptoe in the beginning because I didn't know where it was going. I start, I did it chronologically. I started with January and I didn't exactly know what I was going to be doing. And, um, and then, you know, I, I, like, like I said, I got in a groove, but, you know, so probably others will see it more or in a different way, but maybe they'll see how it evolved in a certain way. I figure new generations are, are, are redefining, redesign, redesigning and translating our culture right as we speak. And so it's really like a little window into the cultural voice that I came up with. I'd also argue it's 366 verses of an epic poem. <laughs> I would, I, I, that's what I would say. I've never seen it all together. That would be funny. Um, I think you're going to really enjoy I, I just, I think this is, even as you're turning pages, though, the physical act of turning a page is changing the narrative. And so you have to actually, I'm, I read electronically, I listen to audio, I I, I engage with books in as many different ways as I can engage with books. But there is so much joy for me touching paper. And when I'm prepping for shows, in fact, I, I, I really prefer working off of paper, um, which I think makes me a little old-fashioned because I've heard some folks say, well, I only read digital. There's plenty of things I like to read digitally. I'm a paper Don't <laughs> but I really, I need to write on books and I need to make notes and you know, I have colleagues in the office who I'll warn them. I'm like, sure, you can borrow that, but you need to understand I have written all over it and it can be very distracting <laughs> because I had thoughts. <laughs> William Blake wrote all over his books. And uh, um, when I, I was with Allen Ginsberg when he died, I was there for the last couple of days. And, uh, you know, we were all, a few of us were standing vigil and I was looking at his books and he had a whole bookcase of books about William Blake. And you you could take anyone off the shelf and you could hardly even read Blake. He had handwritten, he had written in every single margin, every single place where there was white notations on each thing he was reading. You know, it was like mind expansion, but you could hardly read it. And um, I do the same thing. Um, I remember get um, getting a book. Sam Shepard lent me a book. He was a real underliner. He oh, was I can see that. <laughs> and uh, see that. he would underline in pencil so many things. And especially I had a book um, of Samuel Beckett's. I, I, it's the book in the, uh, he gave it to me. I opened it up and it's like, it was almost like a letter from Sam because there was all these things underlined. So I really paid attention to those. What's next for you in terms of books? Have you thought about what the next project might be? Oh, well, I'm always working on a couple of books at the same time. So I have one book that is basically, it's a memoir, but it has a lot. Childhood really figures much deeper in this book than, the, than it's different than Just Kids. Uh, Just Kids was really, and it's going to take me a while. Just Kids took me <laughs> over a decade, but that was the first book that of non that I had to write that was nonfiction, but also for four that had a um, particular mission. And I would have never written that book had Robert not asked me to do it because I, I just wrote poetry and fiction. So it took me a long time. And I don't want to write another book like that, but I do want to write from a different voice about childhood and about art and various things. So I'm working on that, but I'm also working. I have a detective story I've been working on and I write a lot of tales, a lot of them. So one of these days I'll put these tales in one book because I really like writing them. They're more, I don't, they're not fairy tales, but they're, 
somewhere. It's like Oscar Wilde fairy tales, only with a little Japanese thrown in. I I don't know exactly how to explain them, but I do. Um, um, I'm always writing. I mean, I um, I can never really focus on one thing, which is um, very difficult. Um, but it's just how I am. And uh, but like the thing I was telling you, the the Gogol uh, um, the Gogol ra- rabbit hole that was for a tale. So. I'm always writing. I, I have a lot of unpublished poetry. I have a lot of stuff, you know, but um, that maybe I should have been working on. But I found during the pandemic, which was a, having this book was really great for me. My attention span, my ability to concentrate was very low. And I think it was because I was all set to go on a world tour. Uh, I had my bags packed and I was going, I was 73 thinking that I wouldn't be able to do world tours probably in the next couple of years. So really trying to do a last world tour and it got, you know, completely wiped out for the next couple of years. And then now it's fragmented, but my whole being was primed to be um, extroverted prime to for that part of me because I have one part of me that's very reclusive and really antisocial and that person it writes the the other one goes out in the ro- ro- road and you know is in a tour bus with the uh, 10 guys or whatever and doing whatever I have to do and going on one stage for 2,000 people another stage then at Hyde Park for a hundred thousand people just you know tripping from one thing to another. And it's a whole other consciousness. So I, that's what I was ready for. And I was like a boxer. I was ready for that. I, I had like trained myself, my mind, my being. And then to be like that, I mean, my suitcase was packed and everything stopped. And I'm not complaining. I'm just simply saying that. And suddenly I was alone in my house in New York City. And. I couldn't go anywhere because I have a bronchial condition. New York, the pandemic was very, it was bad there. You know, I was like in, you know, they had this, you know, the danger group, you know, it's like 70, 70 and above with a bronchial condition. And I thought, all right, I got both things. So I had to be really prudent, extra prudent. And I was really just pacing around for, and it was, so I was really lucky to have this project. Really happy that um, that Random House took on this project because I needed to have some kind of focus. I need to have some kind of goal. I really love the reader. You know, mm-hmm. I think about the reader. I don't oh, think yeah. about the reader when I'm re- writing poetry. Mm-hmm. I don't think about the reader when I am writing some kind of, you know, something that'll probably never be published. I thought about the reader all the time in M train was written for the reader. It might've, might've just a well said, dear reader. And the same as year of the monkey. And, uh, and this is totally for the reader or the, the person who holds, I don't even know if you could call this book a book to read, but it's a book, whoever holds it in their hand, I read it for them. It's not like tarot cards or anything or the I Ching, but I, I also think like they could open a date and see what's the what's the vibe of that day, you know, or what. Oh, it's uh, Dylan Thomas's birthday. Oh, maybe I'll read one of his poems today or it's Frank Zappa's birthday. I'm going to put him on really loud, you know. I think there are a lot of different ways to experience a book of days, and I cannot wait for other people to get to do what I got to do. I mean, like oh. I said at the top of the show, I got to learned that I loved opera, which I did not know until you sent me down a rabbit hole. I really quite like it. And I just had stayed away from it for years. Glenn Gould, I knew I liked, but I hadn't listened to in a really long time. And, you know, Sam Shepard's words on the page. That's, I am always, always happy to go down. You know what um, is interesting about the Mm. Gould thing? Um, I was reading, I love 2666. I've read it, you know, a number of times. And uh, or at least parts of it a number of times. And I was reading one section and I can't even tell you what section it was. And I started 
thinking this, the rhythm of this is like the Goldberg variations. I don't know if it was the part about the crimes or if it was a whole other section, whatever it was, I kept thinking that. So um, I befriended his uh, literary executor. And so I said to him, um, Nazia, uh, did Roberto ever listen to music while he was writing? And he went, oh, yes. And he tells me that when if he was in a certain mood, he would put on his headphones and put Metallica on really loud. And he said, and if he was in a different mood, um, he didn't want words. He would put on Glenn Gould's uh, The Goldberg Variations. And I heard it. I heard it in his words. That's why I put uh, the two of them together in that picture. I love it. I absolutely, absolutely love it. Have you picked the books you're taking on the road with you? Because you are going back on the road. And I know you, I love the way you pack. The way you pack is amazing. (laughs) Well, um, I usually take, it's very hard. First of all, it's painful to say goodbye to my books. I, I have in my room books that I had, you know, as a child. Here is my my number one pick. If someone said, well, someone has asked me, what what if you could only tell people to read one book, what would it be? Okay. There it is. Pinocchio. Okay. And this, okay. look at this poor battered book. Um, let me see. There it is. The Adventures of mm-hmm. Pinocchio. But yeah, I've had this book. It is completely tattered. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was like six years old. And I got it in a um, church bazaar for like a nickel. And here's a book I read when I was like 11. This was my mother's book. And uh, yeah, it's Girl of the Limberlost. <laughs> so I have these books that I've had since a child. So I have some here in Rockaway. Mm-hmm. Most of them in New York. And I have to say goodbye to all my books. I mean, not just them, all my first editions. I have beautiful books. Mm-hmm. Um, that were gifts to me and and um some I've had you know I'm all through my life I I have such beautiful books and um but when I'm on getting on the road I um try I choose one book and um sometimes two because I pack so late right and so every once in a while it'll be like um something for study mm-hmm. or just some book that I, you know, want to reread, or I just picked up. Sometimes New Directions sends me, you know, some new translate translations, or I just um, find a book and I'll save it for the road. But um, or I'll want to reread something. Like if I can't find anything at all, I'll take a book like this, which I've read many times, but like is uh, a journey to the east. Yeah. And I've read it many times, but it's slim, light, light to pack, and you mm-hmm. can count on it for taking you somewhere. How I take a book, I take it at the last minute. And sometimes I've almost missed flights because of like the turmoil of trying to pick a book and you're going somewhere like Budapest and you don't know if they'll have an English, you know, um, a book that sells English books or some books in English. And, um, but Sometimes that's why I write because I have nothing to read. I really write sometimes to entertain myself because I have nothing to read. And uh, that's how I start writing my tales so I could read I could read them later. I'm really looking forward to those tales. We can be patient. We can hang out. We can wait. You've well, got a tour to do. <laughs> you can send me you can send me your um cuz you're really fun to talk to. Oh, thank you. I think we really have covered what I wanted to, because I do want new readers to focus on this book because it is a, it is a different reading experience. And it's, I mean, to me, it's art. It's art. It's 366 verses of an epic poem. It's, it's a different Patti Smith experience. And I do want readers to come to it with sort of an open mind. I was not expecting a photo of you with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> It's adorable, oh, that photo. Well, exactly, but that's what I want. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> what I want is like, I've always been like that, though. Mm-hmm. I don't like being stuck, like, into any certain thing or expectations right. or people wanting me to just give hip answers. Like, people people say, what are you listening to? 
um, listening to uh, Adriana Grande. Why? I don't really know her songs, but that girl has such a range. So I'll listen to her to study her vote. I mean, that girl is an amazing singer. Or, you know, everybody loves, you know, like we're in New York City. There's Harry Styles has 15 concerts at Madison Square Garden uh, sold out. I don't know anything about him. So I decided I'm going to I'm going to look this kid up. And I heard one song he did called Girl Crush. It was so touching and he's so appealing. I thought, oh, that's that's why people like him. He's appealing. And, um, you know, Keanu Reeves is like the nicest person. And I love the John Wick movies. So I love I. anime. I like dancing it by myself to pop music. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, I don't like being stuck in any box. I, I like to, I have all these manga books that I, that I, sometimes I take manga on the road, just mm-hmm. look at that. You know, I'll look at the pictures or um, I, ju- I just am fascinated by that. But I don't like being confined in other people's ideas of what they think I'm going to be like. Because I don't know, I'm just, I'm just myself. I have, you know, I'll do something even just to agitate, (laughs) even to be, be annoying or something. But yeah, why did I put Keanu Reeves in the book, for instance? I'll tell you why. Because when I was writing Year of the Monkey, two of my closest friends died. And my friend, Sandy Perlman, who was really a genius. And, um, Sandy Perlman um, didn't have many heroes that were alive. He really loved, you know, ancient literature and mythology and science and all kinds of things. But he loved Keanu Reeves. He loved him. He loved the Matrix. He loved, he was, it was his hero. He loved him. I don't know why it was so weird. It was like weird to me that I didn't know anything about Keanu Reeves. And right after Sandy died, um, I was at an art event and there was Keanu Reeves with his girlfriend. When I saw Keanu Reeves, I almost started crying. Not because of me. I don't never even seen a Keanu Reeves movie. But I thought if only Sandy could be here. Right. And so I just felt compelled. And I went up and told (laughs) Keanu Reeves all about Sandy. I introduced myself in a small way, in a little um, encapsulated way about Sandy. And I said, maybe this seems strange because Sandy's departed, but I'm saying hello to you from Sandy. He completely got it. Yeah. He com- he was so empathetic, so nice. And, um, and uh, my guitar player took the picture. And next to it in the book, next to his picture, me and Keanu Reeves, that's Keanu Reeves' birthday. Next to it is a picture of like... Uh, uh, the record, it's a tableau that I did here in Rockaway with the Medea uh, record and a few other things. And if you look, there's a picture of Sandy. There's a little photograph of Sandy. So yeah. I put them so Sandy was next to Keanu Reeves in my book. And that was the whole the whole tale. And plus the fact that Keanu Reeves is really nice and that I'm waiting for John Wick 4. Same, same, same. <laughs> Cannot wait for that movie. <laughs> I sometimes you just need a different thing. I have all of the brain span in the world for beautiful books, but when it comes to movies, I kind of like things to blow up and bad things to happen, which is terrible. <laughs> oh, I couldn't. I saw the Batman all by myself. There you go. See, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was like the end of the pandemic and I'm like in a mask sitting in a movie theater with mm-hmm. 10 people in it where it should have been like filled with people like screaming yeah. Just sitting there with popcorn watching the Batman, perfectly happy. And the same person who would sit all night watching Tarkovsky movies. One doesn't include the other. I have a definite aesthetic, but I'm not a snob. Just like mm-hmm. coffee. I love coffee, but um, Dunkin' Donuts coffee is fine with me. You know, one of the pieces I found when I was doing my research on you too is a bit of a profile written of you by Margaret Jefferson who shares your high, low aesthetic. Margo's not a snob. She's just not a snob. She just really wants to see the beautiful thing or hear the beautiful. And it just made me so happy to see. And this is from 1975. This is from a while ago. And it just delights me to no end that here's this profile and the two of you sitting down 
talking about and it's a great it's a great piece it's a really great piece but more importantly the idea of the two of you with this high low not a snob just i want to experience everything and again this brings me back to book of days because that's what this it, it's such an experience and there's so many you have a moment too early in the book where you're talking about one of your first books from childhood and it's the thousand places to visit yep and then the next page is this is the first time i saw a palm tree yep it was. Yeah, that's wild, though. I mean, and to have those two pages sitting there. And it's like, well, now, I mean, where haven't you been? You've been pretty much everywhere. I mean, there's rock shows. I haven't been in, I'm not, I'm not allowed to go to China, so I haven't been. Oh, China. well, there's, okay. But I have been Sorry on the Chinese you. border in mm-hmm. Vietnam. Right. Um, so I was right on the Chinese border and I got to see rice patties, <laughs> which yeah. are beautiful. And I got to see a lot of Vietnam and, uh, I guess where I haven't been, I haven't been to India. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to uh, Ethiopia, which I where I really wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it, uh, a lot of places that I've really wanted to go, um, I haven't gone because a lot of it at a certain time in my life, because financially I couldn't afford to go right. because I travel alone. I only speak English. I'm more of a mental traveler. So I sort of like to drift in and out of places. Yeah. I'd love to go. I haven't been to Antarctica. I'd love to go there. And I haven't been to Greenland yet. And I want to mm-hmm. go there Been to Iceland. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really want to go to India someday. And I know I will, but I have to go under the right circumstances. And I have to be very healthy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and because also long travel is really hard for me. I mean, long flights. And, mm-hmm. uh, I've loved traveling. I I have seen a lot of the world. I've performed in a lot of the world. I've been to, you know, so many wondrous places. And I feel really, really blessed because I was just a girl growing up in South Jersey in a time in the 50s where people didn't even go to New York City. Yeah. Didn't even have, didn't have passports. They didn't think of going to Europe, let alone go to Vietnam or go to Cambodia or other places. And I had to break through that mold of being a lower middle-class kid that without a whole lot of prospects who wanted to see the world. My father used to say, poetry will never get you anywhere. You're not going to go see the world through poetry. But in a way, he wasn't. it, it wasn't true because poetry uh, led me to rock and roll and it was mm-hmm. rock and roll really that allowed me to see the world because I got to tour everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but quite a lot of places. But one of these time, one of these days, I'll go to Harar and I'll go to India. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, I'll read about them. It seems like a good plan. And that's the beauty of books, though. And that's the beauty of Book of Days, because again, Dublin, Ayers Rock, you know, Budapest, I think, is yeah. There's an image from Budapest. There's, there's so much. There's there's a lot of places, and there's so many. That's why I said, you know, there's these places just have to. They're they're placeholders mm-hmm. for all the other places. I mean, I have so many. You know, Puccini's Piana mm-hmm. is a placeholder for you know Verdi's hat. I have a picture of. I have. All the places I've been in Italy or all the, you know, all the pictures of St. Petersburg or all the pictures, they're all little stepping stones that people can either, they can take paths, other mm-hmm. places with them, use them as a, you know, pick up the, pick up the stone and keep going. Yeah. Or, um, you know, just be entertained by the things that are there. You know, I, I'd love for people to travel uh, through the book, this little book. It's not just about traveling to cities or countries. It's traveling, you know, to um, genres or to the mind or the people or, you know, to different worlds. The world, Alice Ball, this young girl I discovered who, um, what what a tale. I couldn't find hardly anything about this girl. She... um, was on her way of discovering a cure to leprosy and had already developed a cream to help um, to help diminish uh, leprosy and mm-hmm. allow people to go see their families and 
and the pain and and sadly she died in an accident a chemical accident when she was 24 and a professor stole her all of her notes and things and went on to make the cure her what she was doing and took the credit and for decades she was like unknown and so there's very little known about this girl but she is finally getting her recognition and i love having alice ball in the book um I was honored to have Alice Ball in the book, even though I, all I could find was the one photograph of her. Mm-hmm. But I think about her all the time. Mm-hmm. This girl, can you imagine being a young girl who nearly cures leprosy and mm-hmm. then is then is almost forgotten? But the book remembers her, and that's really important. I mean, that's why we have poetry. It's not just to remember people, but also to put them in front of new audiences. That's so nice. Right? Yeah. Are you I a think, writer? Uh, I'm a bookseller. I'm really happy to be a bookseller. I can write copy when it comes to books, and I can certainly well, find I can the sp- see you love books. I can I can find the spine of a story in a conversation. We would have had really a lot of fun if we were working in a bookstore together. We'd probably oh, get in a lot of trouble. We would. We would. <laughs> Without a doubt, we would. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing that I love more than anything in the world. And the fact that I get to be a bookseller every day just delights me to no end. Um, and yeah, there are days where you're like, oh, okay, here we are. But really, more often than not, I get to walk around with a grin like this. <laughs> well, I'm happy Pretty to great. see that grin. Okay, Patty, it's clear that you and I can keep talking about a book of days and your 366 ways to say hello for a very long time, but I do have to let you get back to your real life. So thank you again for making the time. It was thank so you. exciting to talk to you. It was your so body of fun. Really oh. great. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, thank you. Thank you. Hope we speak again sometime. I hope so too. Thank you. Bye. Have a great day. Hello, readers. It's time for another TBR Top Off, where we recommend books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of A Book of Days by Patty Smith. I'm Mark, coming to you from my Barnes & Noble store in Cincinnati, and I'm joined by Grace, a bookseller who is almost probably a bigger fan of Patty Smith than I am, so I couldn't not have you on this episode. I mean, we love Patty Smith. A new book by her is always a treat. Listening to her music while you're reading her books is probably the smartest way to go. I know you have a special place in your heart for Patty's music. Yeah, I so I discovered Patty Smith while I was exercising and I was like, this is the greatest thing to work out to because it is raw, uncut and you are ready to go. Yep. Love it, love it, love it. Well, we've got a couple of great books to talk about today. Grace, I'm going to go ahead and jump right in if you're cool with that. Yay. The book that I chose is about a band that is uh, very special to me. The book is This Searing Light, The Sun, and Everything Else by John Savage. This is an incredible oral history of one of the most profound bands in history, Joy Division. Joy Division was a thing of beauty that sprang from a ravaged Manchester in the late 70s. They helped redefine punk music and were primed to be a worldwide phenomenon. Sadly, after just two albums and right before their first U.S. tour, Uh, Frontman Ian Curtis committed suicide, and the tragedy ended their momentum, but their legacy and their influence on music and culture is felt to this day. There have been so many write-ups about Joy Division, biographies and interviews and, and what have you, but this book, I think, rises at least close to the top, if not the top for me. It is done specifically with interviews with uh, band members and supporters. So you get a feel for the rise and fall of this band from firsthand accounts. And it's told beautifully, it's handled beautifully, and it's just a fantastic book. If you're a music lover of any genre, you should definitely check out The Searing Light, The Sun, and Everything Else by John Savage. Grace, what do you have for us? Only the best. Only the best, folks. Okay. I have to show because... Uh, Joni Mitchell's Morning Glory on the Vine, of course. So it is a book that was written in 1971, but was not released until 2019. She compiled it together because she couldn't quite figure out what to give 
her friends for Christmas that year. And she's like, what else could I give them? Hmm. Let's do a compilation of my art and handwritten lyrics. So it's got portraits of famous artists that she was affiliated with, like anybody from Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young, of course. She, of course, did the artwork for so far. So they had to be featured. There's Judy Collins. She's just one of the most incredible, prolific songwriters, singers, and artists of our generation and previous generations. And of course, it is coming out right around the time where she announces she's doing a duo show with Brandi Carlisle in Washington. Here's hoping we get to go. Joni Mitchell is near and dear to my heart. I remember on her birthday, I picked up Blue about two years ago on vinyl, and it changed my life. So, Oh, fantastic picks. Well, that is all we have for today. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Port Over. Please make sure to give us a rating and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us at Barnes & Noble. Pretty simple. You can follow our home store at BN Westchester. I'm Mark. I'm Grace. And happy reading and happy listening, too, because there's a lot of music for you to chew on right now. So you're welcome. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Board Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.